I nearly missed it. I had to take two children to the toilet and, you know, that can take any amount of time. It's like, it's like elastic. Um, oh, look, Lizzie's still standing. Don't sit down, Lizzie. Can I get everybody to just follow Lizzie's lead? Just stand up with me for a moment. We're going to pray. Just have a look at the person next to you. See if there's someone that you feel okay about, if you feel comfortable with. If you're not sure about them, maybe put your hand on your own heart. If you are sure about them, pop your hand on their shoulder. We're going to pray this morning before we get into the word. Not on their hearts, Leone, on their shoulders. Leone is being very inappropriate in the front row. I'm glad none of you can see it. Wow. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are a perfect God, Father, and we come before you this morning as imperfect people, hearing from a very imperfect speaker, Lord, and we we bring our unanswered questions, Lord, we bring the things that we don't understand, Lord God, and we just want to submit those to you and hear from you today, in Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, now sit down and Leonie, keep your hands to yourself, please. I can see you, you're right in front of me. All right. How are we? You guys look good. Thanks, Jen. You look good too. I'm a high school teacher, so I'm not used to speaking and having no one talk back to me. I'm used to a little bit of sass and a little bit of back chat, so feel free to engage with me. Thanks, Lonesy. Did uh, I missed most of the offering talk because I was toileting the children. Did Leonie make some puns? Wow. God of miracles. All right, so I want to talk to you today about faith in the meanders. Now, I was up here a few weeks ago and I shared about how God had spoken to me through a geography lesson. And so we'll talk a little bit more about what the meanders are in a little while. Um, But yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. I want to talk to you about a song lyric that um, any Spotify users here? Yeah, I love Spotify. I um, I love Daily Mix 1. I'm a runner and every morning, oh no, not every morning, that's a lie. Some mornings, (laughs) it used to be every morning and now it's cold. Um, Some mornings I get up and I'll go for a run and I like to listen to what Spotify puts together for me on Daily Mix 1 and it's usually a worship mix. And um, there's this one song that just was either song number one or song number two every single day for about, I don't know, four or five weeks. It was ages. So there's a lyric, which Megan's going to put up for us. So the lyric, the first lyric of this song is, there's a river flowing from the mountain. It shows our God is true. And this kind of was the only lyric I could remember from this song for ages because it's a really, um, I don't know, it's a, just a really unremarkable song. Am I allowed to say that? It's just like, it's just a song. It's not something that I heard and I was like, oh, that's amazing. It's just a song and it was there all the time. But that was the first line. And I never searched for this song and I didn't even know who influenced music are and I didn't know anything about this song, but it just kept coming back. And normally Spotify will use an algorithm where it'll use things you've searched for and that sort of thing to put your list together. I was like, it's like a stray cat that came into my porch and now it lives in my house. It's just there every day. And so I don't really like it even that much. I actually laughed at it. Simon and I have a bit of a running joke and um, some of you might have seen... <laughs> yeah, well, my running is a joke. <laughs> um, some of you may have seen this, this little compilation of worship songs on Facebook that just show that if you want to write a worship song, all you've got to do is make a reference to a mountain 
and you're like 90% of the way there. So I heard this first line of this song, and I was like, oh, it's another worship song. Oh, yeah, I can see Ben's laughing. He might have seen it. Yeah, um, you can always trust the youth to get my social media references. I, was, I just saw that, and I was like, oh, great, another worship song about mountains. Cool, no worries, move on, skip, next song. But you know what? It just didn't go away, and a few weeks later, I kind of realized the Holy Spirit was playing DJ to me. Um, cause every time I came to worship, which is a few, like in my car most mornings, at least once a Sunday, it's a fair bit. Um, just spare a thought for the people who are next to me in the traffic lights on Davie Street every morning on my way to Kingston. Cause there's a lot going on in my car. Like people in the front row, you might've noticed, but like we all start standing in a line and then as the service moves on, people sort of shuffle away from me because it's like, there's a lot going on. So that's all happening in my car and I get some looks on Davie Street in the morning. So when I'm, when that happens, even if I happen to be listening to that 2% of church music that had nothing to do with mountains and rivers, I would still be thinking about mountains and rivers because of this song just because of that line. And I'm going, what is happening here, God? Why am I so obsessed with this line of this song that I don't even like? What's happening? And um, the word that God gave me was my faithfulness like a river flows. And I'm going, well, yeah, that's literally what it says in the line. Like that's, that's, that's what the line is, God that it shows our God is true. And he's like, yes, my faithfulness like a river flows. And that was it for actual weeks, like weeks and weeks of weeks of me going back to God and saying, what are you saying? What are you saying? What are we, what's happening here? And actually becoming quite obsessed with this idea and him just going, my faithfulness like a river flows. I found it very frustrating. Like I was like, God, you're faithful. That's Christianity 101. Like I know this, this is all through the Bible, it's everywhere. It's something that we know. Can I have something else, please? Um, and he would say, my faithfulness, like a river flows. And I was going, I feel like you're not giving me something I can do anything with. I feel like you're not giving me enough. And it turns out that he was, but I just didn't know enough about rivers. Like this was actually a problem with my knowledge base. So after several weeks of my... Um, conversation with God becoming increasingly more frustrating, more repetitive and shorter and shorter as I kind of didn't even want to ask him what he was saying anymore because I was so sick of hearing this, my faithfulness like a river flows. I am, I'm back at work and I'm teaching geography and um, I did a, my first degree was a history French degree. So I, my major was European history. It's quite specific. I did um, European history from the French Revolution through to the colonial era. It's very specific. However, in Tasmania, or in most of Australia, I think, if you are a high school teacher and you are a specialist history teacher, you automatically become a specialist business and economics teacher and a specialist civics and citizen teacher and a specialist geography teacher. It's like three for the price of one. And this means that I am quite often uh, learning a lot before, very shortly before I have to teach it to my students. It's, um, it's a roller coaster. It's very exciting. <laughs> um, I get to learn these things very quickly. And so 
my students at the time, they were doing an inquiry into the Murray. This, is, this story has a point, I promise. Just stick with me. You're very quiet. Um, thank you for laughing at me, Simon. I appreciate it. Um, they're doing an inquiry into the crisis in the Murray-Darling Basin. And so just as a bit of pre-learning for them, we start to look at how a river actually works. Now, me, in my very deep knowledge of colonial, Europe, colonial era Europe, would have said in my very limited knowledge of geography, would have said, you know what? A mountain is like a basic narrative. It, uh, a river is like a basic narrative. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It comes out of something on a mountain, and then it flows, and then it finishes at the ocean. And I would have thought that, that pretty well nailed it. Not so. This isn't something that my students have put together. This is something that students somewhere have put together. I had already given all theirs back by the time I came to prepare this sermon. But as you can see here, I I was right to start with. It has a source. So yes, well done, Jen. You got one out of what, like eight. And then if you have a look, there's all these different things. There's a waterfall. There's a plunge pool. There's the tributaries. There's the meanders. That one doesn't have a delta, but often they have a delta as well. And then there's the river mouth and the ocean. So there's actually quite a lot of different parts that a river has on its journey. And so, you know, I was starting to think, I'm standing there in my geography classroom and I'm thinking, going through this with my students, and I'm thinking, God's faithfulness like a river flows. So it doesn't just start and then go somewhere and then it's there. There's a lot more happening in that statement than I initially understood. So, and one of my grade grade eight students actually um, made me feel a whole lot better about my level of geography knowledge by putting his hand up and saying, which way does the river flow? And in that moment, I felt a whole lot better. I was like, it goes away. It doesn't go from the ocean to the mountain, mate. It doesn't flow up the mountain. I felt a lot better in that moment. But yeah, my weeks of pondering this single lyric from a song I didn't even really like started to make a bit of sense. Because God's faithfulness like a river flows. That means that from the source, which is God, it's always the same. There's always promise. There's always victory. There's always hope. There's always goodness. And the, the end point is always the same. It always ends in destiny. It always ends in those promises coming to fulfillment. But our understanding of what that looks like is really different depending on where along that bank, along that journey you happen to be standing. And so as I'm unpacking this lyric in my head while also trying to explain to grade eights that mountains, that rivers don't flow up mountains, I'm starting to get a picture of what it means that God's faithfulness like a river actually flows, that where we are positioned actually determines our understanding of his faithfulness more than anything. So I'm just going to read a scripture now from the Passion Translation. It comes from Psalm 1 and it will be familiar to some of you. It says, What delight comes to the one who follows God's ways? He won't walk in step with the wicked, nor share the sinner's way, nor be found sitting in the scorner's seat. His pleasure and passion is remaining true to the word of I am, meditating day and night in the true revelation of light. He will be standing firm like a flourishing tree, planted by God's design, deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss. 
bearing fruit in every season of his life. He is never dry, he's never fainting. He's ever blessed and ever prosperous. And so when we think that God's faithfulness like a river flows, we can consider ourselves like that tree that is planted there by the brooks of bliss, that tree that draws sustenance, that is able to be successful and prosperous because they're drawing from that river of faithfulness. In Psalm 57 verse 10, it tells us that your love is so extravagant that it reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness so astonishing, it stretches to the sky. And so that's where we start to understand the level of that faithfulness is not like a... um, Not like a river that we might visit in Tasmania where our rainfall can fluctuate um, and our rivers look very different season to season because they're dependent on, on rainfall and on climate. But our God is not dependent on any circumstances. He's a constant source for us. And so when we consider ourselves that tree that is planted by the river, we have that constant infilling, that constant upwelling of faithfulness that we can rely on. His astonishing love and his faithfulness are without end and without limit. And as I thought about these verses, yet as I thought about these verses, that's such an encouraging thought, that idea of God's faithfulness just being unending and being something we can always rely on it. And yet as I thought about it, things were happening around me. Friends' marriages were breaking up. Um, I had parents of my students just in my office in tears because there were things happening in their child's life that they didn't know what to do about. I had, we, I was watching the news and I'm seeing churches being bombed. I'm, I'm reading articles about mosques where shootings have taken places by people who were invoking the name of our God as the reason that they were doing that. Like our world is crazy. It's crazy and I'm reading these things and God's saying my faithfulness like a river flows and I'm listening to people come and talk to me about what's happening in their lives and I'm watching the news and I'm going, God, nothing that I was seeing was making me go, yes, God's faithfulness like a river flows. Now you're all really quiet. But it's real. It's real. You know, Notre Dame is a place where I stood as a 15-year-old and I, can, and I had just started my faith journey and I stood in that place and I considered whether I was, like I, I thought, oh my gosh, people have put their devotion to this God that I'm just starting to get to know into brick and mortar and statue and marble and they, their devotion is carved into marble. So when we looked at when I looked at um, some of the Michelangelo marble statues that were encased in Notre Dame, I thought, oh my gosh, like that is just such an incredible way to express your devotion in something that will stand there forever and ever and ever. And for me, the actual brick and mortar cathedral was a it was an example of forever and ever and ever, and it was gone. And I went, oh. You know, 15 years later, something that had been really pivotal to me in my early faith journey was just gone. People's marriages where they, I had stood next to them as they said, we will love each other forever and ever and ever. It was just gone. And I'm talking to God about his faithfulness that like a river flows forever and ever and ever, while all around me things that I had considered forever and ever and ever were no longer there. And I'm going, oh, can I trust the idea of forever and ever? 
There is so much pain and so much darkness that I saw just in those few weeks while I considered what God's faithfulness like a river flows meant. And so many questions. And you know what? I, I, I hope that we are all here with unanswered questions today. Because I think that if you don't have an unanswered question when it comes to your faith, when it comes to your relationship with God, then you've probably stopped thinking. And I don't think there's ever a time when that, that should describe the church of Jesus Christ. So I'm not here to answer your questions. Sorry, that's not happening today. <laughs> I do that five days a week. I answer people's questions and I'm not here to do it on a Sunday. I know, sorry. Please don't call me Mrs. Grubb in church. Um, but my prayers started to echo the words of the father in Mark 9 who came to Jesus and he begged Jesus to help his little boy who was being tormented by demons. And he's, he said to Jesus, I do believe. Please help my unbelief. And as I considered this faithfulness that I knew was true, that I knew that I knew that I knew was true, and I started to consider all the things that I saw which seemed to declare that it wasn't true, I started to pray with those words, I do believe, but please help my unbelief. Please, God, show me how the thing that I know is true is becoming true in these situations. God, I do believe that you're faithful. I do believe that you're working all things together for good. But what is happening out there? What is happening in here sometimes? I don't think it's a coincidence, by the way, that my existential crisis um, coincided with trying to toilet train my daughter. And I don't want to imply for a moment that God ordains or that he endorses any of those horrific things. God gave his authority over this world to humanity and in our use of our free will, we've actually ceded a lot of that God-given right to rule to Satan and God doesn't sit back and make those things happen. What I, can I grab water, please? Thanks. What I want to focus on here is the gap between what we believe and what we see. I came so close to just tipping that all over myself. Yeah, like a river. Okay, so I want us to focus on the gap between what we believe and what we see. I want to talk about how we understand God's faithfulness in the midst of that gap. Told you the story had a point. So, first point is that the meanders are part of the journey. And if we just pop that picture back up for a second, Megan... All right, so this isn't a very good example of a meander. No offence, random child on the internet. But often, if we look at a map of Tasmania, you can spot the meanders because they actually fold like a serpentine. Like, and we see that reflected in a lot of the Indigenous mythology around the rainbow serpent comes from the fact that the rivers actually look like a snake. It's the back and forth and that's called, a, that's called a meander as part of our journey. So when we're in the meanders, we still have access to living water. We still have access to God. 
it continues to flow. But you know what? When you're in the meander, you can't see the source. You can't see the mountain because this is often happening in a floodplain or in a river valley where um, there's high hills in between the meanders and it's flowing. It's snaking around hills. Also, I should have got a better picture. That's okay. You also can't see the final destination. If you're surrounded by hills and you've river's snaking back on itself. You can't see the ocean from there either. So we can't see the source. We can't see the destination. All we can see is this little bit that we're surrounded by. And in many ways in my life, I feel like I'm in a bit of a meander season in that, you know, purpose hasn't changed, source hasn't changed. But um, gee, it looks like I've gone in a different direction than I thought I would be going in at this point. Yeah. And in our church... We know we're going somewhere, right? We know that by October, we're not going to be where we are now, but we don't know where that's going to be. And the thing that really gets me about the meander is that sometimes it looks like the river's actually flowing in the opposite direction to the source. Like the ocean might be over here and the river's kind of gone back that way. And it looks like you're actually going further away from where you intended to be. And there's a real possibility that for us as a church, we'll end up in a semi-permanent position before we move to our permanent position, that we will have to be somewhere that we don't necessarily want to be for a little while before we end up where God places us ultimately. And it it might look like we're further away from where we want to be for a while. And I think that those meander seasons where we're going, this isn't how I thought my life would look, this isn't where I thought I would be at this point in my life. This is something that I'm not, I wasn't prepared for. They're some of the hardest parts for our faith. I sat at my kitchen table with a friend yesterday who is, um, who's not a Christian. Been praying for him for 10 years now. And he's um, just turned 30 last week. Um, He's just broken up with his girlfriend that week. He has recently, um, well, in the last few years, thrown away the career idea that he thought that he had and embarked on a uni degree. And so as a part of that, he's back living at home with his parents and he's like, oh, you know, I live at home. I've just turned 30. I've just broken up with my girlfriend. When I was 22, I really thought I'd have everything, all my ducks in a row by 30. And I, I was like, oh yeah, didn't we all? And it just, again, spoke to me of that idea of living in the meanders, of going, I'm doing everything that I can to go in the direction that I want to go in, but it looks like I'm going the other way and I don't know why. If you're in a meander season, the river appears to be flowing away from where you're headed. But I think God wants us to know this. Guess what? His faithfulness like a river flows. Yep. The water that is going through those bends is the same as the water that is coming out of the fresh, fresh spring at the top of the mountain. It is the same as the water that is flowing out to the ocean that's reached its final destination. It comes from the same source. It carries the same promise. It all comes from him and it all returns to him. In Romans 11, verses 33 to 36, it says, Oh, the depth of riches of wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? 
For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. From him, through him, for him and to him all things go. Do you know I can very rarely get through a sermon without quoting Anne Voskamp? I love her. If you take nothing else away from this, go home and read everything that Anne Voskamp ever wrote. You will learn far more than from listening to me. But in her book, The Broken Way, which is all about making sense of the broken parts of our lives and it's about living living cruciform, living Christ-like, which in order to do, we have to be able to be broken because what was the journey of Christ if not brokenness for the sake of humanity? She says, Never be afraid of broken things, for Christ is redeeming everything. And I don't know why the world is the way it is. I don't even necessarily know what redemption would look like for our world or how we get there. What I know is that God's faithfulness like a river flows and that we are getting there. That if you follow the river, you will get to the ocean. There is no way that that cannot happen. Even in my very limited knowledge of geography before I learnt about the parts of the river, I knew that it ends at the ocean. There are no, there is no faith in the questions that I can answer on my own. There is no faith in the questions that I can answer on my own. Which is my second point, is that the unanswered questions are actually essential for faith. In 1 Corinthians 4 verses 13 to 16, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us to, with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow in glory to God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So there's a sequence of actions that I've put it. You may not be able to see them. I pop them in bold. Um, I teach grammar. We always look for the verbs first. So there's a sequence of actions there. Um, and I want to focus on the human parts of this partnership because there's a whole lot of actions that God does in order to fulfill his faithfulness in there. But I want to focus on the things that he, that actually it says that we need to do. So the first thing, we know that because we don't need actually need to focus on what God says he'll do because we know that he will be faithful. We know that he's faithfulness like a river flows so the first thing believe is a choice it's a decision it's the first step of faith and it's where we first start to acknowledge that this is something that I want to pursue and then because we believe we speak our words carry the power to create new realities as we speak we start to use our creative power and our beliefs create new path, actually create new pathways in our brain. So it's as we speak, we're creating neural pathways out of our beliefs. We strengthen our beliefs when we speak them out. It's actually 
really um, integral to how our brain works, that we are developing our neural pathways with our spoken words. So it's one thing to have a belief is a thought, but then when it is translated into, into speech, it starts to become a pathway that is strengthened every time we speak it out, and it actually forms our framework for how we understand the world. So then we know our new neural pathways that we've created by speaking them out, they become the basis for how we experience the world what we now know to be true. And then, thanksgiving, our celebration, our experience of what it is like to live in that new knowledge. Thanksgiving is what creates joy. We experience joy to the degree that we can give thanks. And so we know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That is how we persevere. Strength is how we persevere. Strength is how we overcome If we want to be strong, we actually need to cultivate joy. And the way that we cultivate joy is in our thanksgiving. Do not lose heart is our strength in action. Our ability to remain planted beside those meanders, to enjoy, to enjoy, maybe, to endure adversity and to persevere. To fix our eyes on what is unseen. We remember in the dark what God promised in the light. We recall when we are in the meanders, the view that we saw from the top of the mountain. We recognize that our inability to see the whole picture is not only to be expected because his ways are higher than our ways, but it is actually essential for our faith to grow. Our ability to be able to coexist with what we don't understand and to be able to believe when we don't have the answers is the only way that our faith grows. Fixing your eyes on what is unseen means actually relinquishing your right, your God-given right to make decisions based on your own wisdom and knowledge. When we fix our eyes on what's unseen, we actually say, I have the right to do what I know is best with the knowledge that I have and the experience that I have, but I trust in something higher, something that is bigger than what I can see right now. It means surrender to a God whose ways are not our ways and whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Fixing our eyes on what is unseen is an admission of our own limitedness and our own fallibility. All right, point number three. Our victory is hidden in surrender. And I love the paradox of the the gospel here because in everything that I understand, look at my beautiful assistant, brings me water, takes my jacket. All right. So God's faithfulness like a river flows. I grew up on a surf beach. My early childhood took place in the Bay of Fires. And um, one thing that I learned quite early on in a pretty embarrassing incident involving a lilo, but I'm not going to talk about that now. I learnt that it is not a good idea to swim against the current. Has anyone else learnt that the hard way? It's a bad idea to swim against the current? Yeah. God's faithfulness, his will, he always carries us to purpose, to promise, to freedom and to love. It is not a good idea to swim against the current. There's a lot of power there, a lot more power than we can come up with in our striving. 
Um, there's a story in Genesis about a man named Jacob who found himself left alone in the desert. He, um, he was, he'd had an argument with his brother and he needed to make it up to his brother Esau. And so what he decided to do was get together a whole lot of his um, animals and get his servants and his wives to take all these animals to Esau, send them ahead. He was trying to like butter him up before he arrives. So it's like, here's this massive expensive gift. I know that I've made you angry. Here's a big expensive gift. And then he decided he would wait and go afterwards after he'd received the gift. So he was alone in the desert. Jacob was left alone in the desert and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. So he wasn't really alone, but he was before that. When the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with, as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So it just so happened that this man um, was not a man. It was actually, um, it was God in person. And so the only way we have to understand God in person in the Bible is Jesus. So what, what some commentators think happened in this moment is that Jesus has actually come and wrestled with Jacob, which is pretty phenomenal. Like, we're, it's pretty, it's just amazing. So the man was God, and this is actually the moment when Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and he received the blessing and the promise of God. So this is the first moment that Israel, as God's chosen people, is mentioned in the Bible. It's a pivotal moment in our history as the people of God. And the blessing didn't come from a crushing victory. It didn't come from him walloping his opponent, his wrestling opponent. Like When I read this, I like to think of it as like modern wrestling, like, you know, out in the desert, but like a WWE kind of scenario with like the people's elbow and the chair and the crowd going wild, but we know that there's no crowd, but that's how I like to imagine it. But it didn't come from a crushing victory. It came from his hip socket, which is significant because that's actually the part of our body that is the strongest in you. That, that tendon in the hip socket is um, the strongest kind of protein material that we have in our, in our body. It's, it's his strongest part. It came from a moment of desperate pain that would leave him with a permanent limp. Wrestling with God produces intimacy. Like, I don't know if you've watched any of that wrestling, but they get pretty close. Like, they're, like there's some faces getting up in some armpits, and it's a pretty intimate scenario, especially when you consider that most of it's staged. So they actually have to plan that. But if intimacy does not result in surrender, it actually produces frustration. Picture this, like two people leaning in for a kiss, because a kiss is the thing that I consider to be the most intimate thing that we, can, that we can achieve. Like two people lean in for a kiss. If one person doesn't at some point surrender, or both of them surrender a little bit, you're actually not going to get a kiss. You're going get, to get a headbutt. And if our intimacy can't result in surrender, it only produces frustration. The moment of surrender. When we allow something in us to be broken, to pull back, to allow someone else to prevail, that's the moment we actually overcome. If you wrestle with God, you will be permanently changed. You have to surrender to the process of 
permanent change to if you want to become standing firm like that flourishing tree that we read about that's planted by God's design, deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in every season of life, never dry and never fainting, ever blessed and ever prosperous. If we want to experience God's faithfulness like that, we have to allow something in us to not prevail when we when we come up against him and we wrestle with him in the things that we don't understand. Final point, if the band want to hop up. We are actually the overflow of the river. We are the overflow. There are parts along rivers, and I think on my picture they were called plunge pools, but um, I remember there being a really cool um, swimming hole Near, near the farm where I grew up when, when, we were, when I was in my teens. There, we lived on a farm and there was a plunge pool which formed just a really nice swimming waterhole. And people would come and they would gather there. And it was actually formed by the overflow of the river where um, there was runoff from the places around and the river actually kind of pulled into this nice, flat, deep well almost. God's faithfulness like a river flows... When we decide to believe, he helps us in our unbelief. He refreshes us and he leads us in his promise. But what is it that actually engages our faith? What takes us from planted by God's design, deeply rooted by the brook of sorry. What takes us from planted by God's design, deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss? I'm really struggling with that brooks of bliss. Two, bearing fruit in every season. What is the difference between being deeply planted and bearing fruit? Because to me, there's a progression there. There's a, there's a step along the journey. And I think, I think that it's transforming input into output. It's that faith into action. It's being somewhere where others can gather to be refreshed. Proverbs 11 verse 25 says... A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. In James 2, it says, If one of you says to someone in need, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing to meet their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's actually doing something. It's actually taking an action that is the completion of our faith. In the same way that our belief is solidified into knowledge by speaking it out, it's action that breathes life into our faith. And when I read this verse, I think of the creation of Adam and I think of God breathing life into Adam because Adam was a, co- a complete creation. He was there, he was whole, but he was not alive until God actually breathed on him and he suddenly he had meaning and he had purpose and he had the ability to relate to God. Our faith is the same. It's whole and it, it exists in belief form. It exists when it's just for us and, you know, it's there But it needs to be transformed into something powerful and purposeful. And we do that when we take an action. There's so many parts of the world where 
people struggle to access clean water and there's crops failing and there's animals dying and there's children starving because of a lack of water. And actually underneath those people's feet is these huge artesian underground rivers, huge water reserves that flow and are clean and never run dry. But because of the poverty in the area and the lack of technology, it's not accessible. Rivers that flow beneath the desert are real. That water's real. It's there. But without someone taking a significant action, it's actually of no good to anyone. I want to talk to you about something that's happening in my school at the moment. Janet rolled her eyes at me before because she was like, oh, one more day of holidays. I was like, I'm really excited. I'm that teacher that can't wait to go back to school. Again, it might have something to do with the toilet training toddler at home, but... We have a bit of a revival going on at Kingston High School at the moment. I'm so excited. Um, Just recently, I woke up one day and I was like, I wonder what would happen if I just rang some local church pastors and saw if they wanted to come into the school. And I had a chat with my boss. I was like, I'm going to do this. And she went, oh, okay. I went, did you hear what I said? I said, I'm going to ring up local churches and invite them to come into our school. And she's like, yeah, it's great. Let me know how you go. Okay, see ya. I don't want to, don't want to push it, but that's great. Um, so I did it, and I met with a couple of our local Kingborough churches, and we prayed together, and we did some brainstorming about what we can do. And I just want to tell you that we have starting up this term two strength programs and two shine programs. So that means we'll run four programs for about ten kids each this term and then another four next term and then another four the term after that and we'll see over 100 kids go through those programs which are church-based programs that we have a breakfast club starting up that our student body are so excited about that they are so pumped that the churches are coming in to run a breakfast club for them that we have one-on-one mentoring happening from volunteers from local churches on a needs basis coming in just because I woke up one day and I was like oh man, we really need our churches to own these kids because like, I was so sick of being in the supermarket and hearing people say things like, oh, the Kingston High School kids. And I'm going, well, they're not the Kingston High School kids. They're the Kingborough kids. They're your kids. Like, like I have a part to play as their teacher and I love them and I will do my utmost, but we actually need our community to own our kids. And then I went, hang on, I don't necessarily have faith in our community to own these kids. I need our churches to own these kids. I need people that I trust, people that I know are planted and flourishing by by the brooks of bliss. See, I nailed it that time. I need those people to own these kids. And so I took that faith and I was like, just going to make it happen. And it's happening. And it's that easy. And I don't, I'm not here to kind of tell you what to do because it looks different for everyone what that action means but what can you do to breathe life onto your faith what can you do when you look around your workplace when you look around your family what could you do to make a potential resource into an available resource just to show off another little bit of my new geography terminology What can you do to bear fruit in this season of your life? Who could be refreshed by your kindness? Who could benefit from your faith? Because God's faithfulness like a river flows. The twists and the turns and the meanders, they're going to be part of the journey. 
And you won't always be able to see the source. You won't always be able to see the destination. But all life flows from and returns to God. We can never, ever be afraid of brokenness because Christ is redeeming all things. Your unanswered questions are not an inhibitor to your faith. They are essential to your faith. God is at work in the unseen. Let's fix our eyes on his promise because he who began a good work in us will surely see it through to completion. Your victory lies in surrender. Allow yourself to be changed through your intimacy with God. Your faith has purpose and it has power when you breathe life into it with action.